and welcome to the Accepted Podcast, a college admissions podcast for the savvy student. My name is Tyler Kusunoki. I am an admissions consultant working out of Japan with students from all over the world to try to help them realize their college goals. Um, first of all, to start off with a very belated、uh, Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Thank you for all the ways in which you continue to support and encourage、uh, your children to. Reach for greater to succeed and to kind of take, manage, and sort out their way through what is becoming increasingly a complicated high school, middle school, elementary school life. And so, thank you for loving your children. Thank you for encouraging them to take risks. Thank you for supporting them in their endeavors. And thank you for all that you do to support your family. So, starting off with that, just wanted to wish all the dads out there. Very happy Father's Day as someone who, whose brother just had his first child. It's always fun to see just someone step into that role of being responsible for another human's life in such a clear way. And so I just wanted to start off by wishing everyone, every dad out there, a belated Father's Day. And to all the moms, thank you as well. It is always a partnership and it absolutely takes a village when it comes to. Raising children.、Uh, moving on to today.、Um, today, I wanted to revisit a topic that I started, I covered a while ago when I first started this podcast because it has come up quite a lot lately. Just because, well, there's a couple different reasons, right? One is report cards just came out, but also just I've been having lots of different conversations with educators at high schools and at college. And a lot of it has been around, well, what can we change? What can we do to try to Improve the educational system and,、uh, like, how do we increase the rigor? How do we make things more future proof in terms of really preparing our kids for what seems like an increasingly unpredictable society? And so, today I kind of wanted to revisit that and、uh, talk a little bit about the concept of failure and how to embrace it well. And I will be breaking this up into kind of a two parter because I kind of want to first. Outline, I want to first outline sort of a, a helpful definition of a set of definitions of failure in terms of how do we start to avoid it in the context of a student.、Um, and then I will want to talk a little bit more about implementation、um, in the next space because what I've found is that students are on such a grind where their definition of failure is a B. plus. It is Being a, the vice president instead of the president of the student council. Like that, the definition of for a lot of these kids who are being,、um, trying to go for these very competitive、uh, universities and are trying to be the best, the definition of failure has been narrowed significantly. But the other part of that problem, right, one of the reasons that becomes problematic is that students are therefore really only focused on. The absolute best as the only possible outcome, and therefore are going to pick the safest, most guaranteed pathway to get there. And in the process of that, not necessarily learning a whole lot about themselves nor equipping themselves with the skills necessary to succeed. Because, as I'm sure all of the parents know, getting an A in high school, sure, some of it's hard work, but also some of it's just finding the shortcuts, right? 
and optimizing the way that you work, which in and of itself can be valuable. But I have found that with so many high school students, that fear of failure, the fear of making the wrong choice, the fear of getting anything less than an A, getting an A minus instead, leads to paralysis, leads to anxiety, leads to a lot of different things. And some of it is just that there is it's not so much that grades are bad, right? This is not going to be the podcast about why we don't need grades anymore. But it's because schools on an institutional level have made it very, very clear that failure is a bad thing. Not necessarily because any school has necessarily has come out and said it, but because the grading system makes that very clear, right? That all of your activities have a grading scale attached to it. And if you're not correct, you're wrong. And not all failure is wrong. And so that's kind of what I want to talk about today. And I don't want to just rant because I could go off on this forever. It is kind of one of my biggest, as an educator, one of my biggest challenges and struggles is how, as a counselor as well, thinking about what type of student is going to be a good, impactful college student that college admissions officers are going to want to see and want on their campus. It's how do I create a space where failure can happen and how can I in within a safe context give students a place to fail and so I want to talk about this through the lens of someone else's work and someone else who has really laid out a series of good definitions that I want to work through and see how they apply in a student context prepare for your next academic year on topics you need SAT, math, science, English, and more. TA families are arranging customized intensive courses of study so that their children can better prepare for the next academic year. From private instruction to group classes, our students learn in their most comfortable setting with the right tutors. Start planning today so that you're ready for the next year. Visit tokyoacademics.com to schedule a meeting with us and learn more. That's tokyoacademics.com. This is pulling largely from an article called Strategies for Learning from Failure. It is by Amy C. Edmondson, um, and it is an article in the Harvard Business Review. And so in the same way that businesses sort of adopt best practices for their own, to create their own cultures and to create their own strategies, I'm going to be pulling a little bit from the business world to start talking a little bit about how failure can work in different contexts. And again, this will be kind of broken up into multiple pieces where I will first sort of lay out what the article says and see how that applies in a uh, student context. Um, And then next week, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, effective implementation. So one of the major first takeaways from the article that that I find applicable is removing the blame game. Amy does a really good job of making sure that the one of the things that she starts with is how to avoid blame. This is different than kind of attributing fault, right? But blame as the first response to a failure is something that needs to start being avoided, right? And 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 in part because blame leads directly to guilt, right? And sure, all of those things can be channeled toward positive things, but most students will associate blame with 
I'm bad, I messed up, this was terrible, without any sort of meaningful follow-up on how to process through that and say, okay, but then here's how I can meaningfully get better. And so how do you remove the blame game? And how do you start to remove, how do you start to focus on the process? So an example of this from my own counseling um, and the way that I work, oftentimes students, when I work with students and I start helping them put together a test prep plan, one of the first things they have to do is take a mock. And they have to come in and they have to take a mock exam just to, so I can see where they're, where they're going and to see what um, kind of initial gaps there may be in their test preparation process. Um, but one of the things I learned very, on, very early on is that if my first response to a terrible score is, wow, you suck, that's going to set a kid against test prep for the rest of their life, right? And against the, pro the process of testing for the rest of their life in many ways. Now, some kids will respond well to that, right? And if you've built up a relationship where you have that trust, obviously amazing. But for most students, when they come in and were reluctant to take the mock in the first place because they're terrified of head heading down this test prep road or just are kind of lazy and don't necessarily want to work, when a student comes in and finishes their test score, regardless of their regardless of their mock test score, I always start off by praising them for completing it, right, and thanking them for being so willing to engage in this process. It is. A different focus, right? It is a results agnostic focus, and when it when I praise process, right, it reinforces that. Oh, okay, right. Even if at the end of the at the end I didn't quite get to where I wanted to, the focus is on doing it and doing it over and over again, as opposed to I have to get the score, right. And now we are then in a space where we can start talking about how to improve because now the student isn't initially defensive. They aren't initially turned off or turned away from this whole process. They're not beating themselves up. They are focused on, they have just received unexpectedly praise for doing something, right? Even though the rest of the world would look at a score, like a mock score of like 1080, and just be like, well, what's wrong with you? Because a student will look up around them and see all around them kids who are getting 1600 when they were in fifth grade. And so that's the first part is setting out very clearly kind of a focus on process, right? As opposed to a focus necessarily initially on results, right? Because the process is necessary to get the results. Um, and each student's process is going to be different but a process is going to be necessary to get results. And so if you focus on results from the start, the kid's not gonna value the process and, um, and is already sort of starting off on the wrong foot. And so figuring out um, the blame game is important. And what uh, Amy introduces here, right, is kind of a spectrum of reasons for failure, right? And so we can start to once, because at the end of the day, if the results aren't where they need to be, there needs to be some attribution of fault, right? So once you've kind of emphasized, after you've finished emphasizing the process, right, and praising them for engaging in the process to begin with and showing them that through your words, that process is valuable, right? That engagement in just doing the work is inherently valuable regardless of fault. 
now there's the time to start assessing the fault. And so I'm going to keep using this um, kind of uh, test prep as, as, as an example, just because it is something that every parent, every student, every school is going to experience. But what Amy introduces later on in the article is this spectrum of reasons for failure. And once you have moved past and created a space where a student is going to engage in process, the next step is at the end of the day, you didn't get the results you wanted. You didn't get the results I wanted you to be getting. So we need to figure out what went wrong, right? And there is a spectrum of reasons for failure. If we just narrow failure to a simple thing, right, as opposed to trying to analyze the reasons for it, now we're also similarly stuck in the same loop. And so on one end of the spectrum is blameworthy reasons for failure, right? While on the other end of the spectrum is praiseworthy, right? Praiseworthy reasons for failure. And so there is this spectrum of praiseworthy failure and a blameworthy failure. So step one is focus on process. Re-emphasize that just the act of engaging in a process is inherently valuable. If it results in success, amazing. If it results in failure, though, also good, right? And so start there. But the next step is showing that there are re there are different ways in which failure can happen and that those need to be understood and embraced. In order, start going from blameworthy to praiseworthy, right? The most blameworthy reason for failure is deviance, right? An individual chooses to violate a prescribed process or practice. So this is deliberate. This is the student who just very deliberately chose not to fill in all of the bubbles, right? And it's just like, nah, I'm just going to, I'm going to mess up this test. I'm just not going to take it, right? And so a student who sits there, waits for time to run out and submits a blank paper, right? Chooses to violate a prescribed practice, a process of practice, right? A little less than that, inattention, right? An individual inadvertently deviates from specifications. So this is a student who because they weren't focused, misread a question or filled in the wrong bubbles. We get this all the time where a student, everything will be one answer, one bubble off. And if we just adjust it up, everything's correct. Uh, so inattention, right? So deviance and inattention uh, and then lack of ability, okay? Uh, an individual doesn't have the skills, conditions or training to execute a job. And um, this is kind of the lack of ability starts to move into the territory of not really blameworthy, right? Like if, you, if I give a student, if I give an eighth grader an SAT test and they haven't learned algebra two or learned grammar, I can't really expect them to succeed on this test, right? And so it's not so much that it, they are blameworthy, right? But it's still failure, right? The score still wasn't where it needed to be but it's not really a fault, right? Deviance, inattention, lack of ability, right? Um, and where we start to move into praiseworthy failure is where failure starts to happen due to process inadequacy, right? A competent individual adheres to a prescribed but faulty or incomplete process, right? And so this is a student who has been doing math all their way for part of their life, for most of their life, has been doing math all of their way, all in a very particular way, all their life. And now all of a sudden, when they see word problems on the SAT that are designed very differently, right, um, they do it wrong. They do it wrong because they've been learning a way that they've been learning a process that is no longer applicable to right now.
right? Or they're studying poorly, right? They're learning from the wrong textbooks, right? They're studying off of third-party material instead of the official SAT. All of these examples would be where the fault is not necessarily on the student, but the fault is on the process. Listeners of this podcast know that admission rates have never been lower. It's not enough to just have the high GPA. In this ultra-competitive climate, stunning essays make you stand out against your peers. Tokyo Academics Essay Counseling offers personalized attention by specially trained counselors familiar with expectations of each type of application essay, provided at extremely competitive rates. One of our expert essay counselors will create a customized plan to tailor all of your application essays to fit your narrative, goals, and background. We ensure that each essay tells a story only you can. We have specialists for schools across the US, UK, Japan, and more. Summer is the best time to get a head start on your essays. Contact us at essay at tokyoacademics.com for a free diagnostic today. Now, in terms of the increasingly praiseworthy ones, right, where it can be focused on process, on that this was good, let's engage in this over and over, right? Um, First is task challenge. Right? An individual faces a task too difficult to be executed reliably every time. Right? And so they just have introduced, the student is taking on a task that has just inherent variability built into it right? and is difficult. So um, with some of my students who are at the highest level, right, who are engaging in the CESPAR process, when they have sort of mastered the SAT, Sometimes I will start having them do the GMAT, the GRE, or the LSAT, right? Just to push them a little bit with their reading comprehension, push them a little bit with their math, right? Or I'll start setting the bar higher, like, okay, that was great, but I want you now to finish the 60-minute session, 60-minute section in 45 minutes, right? And so now there's this challenge that is hard, and therefore it's the results are inherently going to vary. But you see now... I, when I talk about task challenge, where we're starting to move into the praiseworthy types of failure, right? it is engaging in something that is beyond the baseline, right? Everything, most of the things that are blameworthy are where a student is messing up on and or the student is not succeeding on the baseline, right? As we move into the praiseworthy, part of the element is that there is an engagement in above and beyond, right? Engagement in there you're starting to head into a, a space where failure is kind of inevitable and that's kind of an element of good failure is that you're in an environment where it's inevitable but therefore can be learned from okay so task challenge right similar to task challenge is process complexity right a process composed of many elements breaks down when it encounters novel interactions Right. And so a student who, again, going back to math, right, a student who has learned algebra a very particular way and then all of a sudden encounters word problems and graphs and all these other things where the knowledge is expected to be applied, but in a different context or where they love reading um, 
fiction. And all of a sudden they're being tested on historical reading and analysis, right? Where there are so many different components and this is true for a standardized test, right? There are so many components of the standard. It's a three and a half hour exam, right? There's so many components that um, it's difficult to be effective at every single one, okay? And so process complexity is the next, right? And then a little bit higher, uncertainty. A lack of clarity about future events causes people to take seemingly reasonable actions that produce undesired results, okay? And so studying, for example, right? Studying, for example, for the SAT, not knowing that the SAT is going to completely change in March is going to inevitably failure and that you are planning and training for the wrong thing. And then the last two, the most praiseworthy types of failure are when a student is engaged in hypothesis testing, an experiment conducted to prove that an idea or a design will succeed fails, and exploratory testing, an experiment conducted to expand knowledge and investigate a possibility leads to an undesired result. All right. When I have students decide start doing test prep, I have them take both the SAT and the ACT. They take one of each because the goal is to figure out which one is the better test, right? The goal is to figure out, am I more of an ACT taker or more of an SAT taker? And usually one of the two or both is going to give come back with less, less than ideal results, right? But that's perfect, right? Because now you have engaged in a process that was designed from the ground up, right? From the, not that this wasn't designed, right? But was, is implemented largely to find out what doesn't work, right? I've created an environment where I've created a, an assignment where I actually kind of want failure because failure gives clarity, because failure shows me which path to not head down. But I can't engage that based off a hypothesis, right? I can't say, well, based on how you look or what you've been doing in class, you should probably take the ACT or the SAT. The only way to def definitively know is for them to engage in both processes, right? And so um, that's kind of what I wanted to started with is to this week just lay out the fact that not all failure is the same. Not all failure is created equal. But for a kid to succeed, there is, an, there is a need to establish early on, right, the different types of failure. And, um, and these can be deeply personal, tied to each individual, right? How, what is going to be considered failure? What is going to be considered successful failure? And then what is going to be considered success? Because without that clear dialogue, without, a, without adults to reinforce it, right? Students are going to walk through their high school life afraid of taking risks. And because they don't see the value in, f in good failure, right? They don't see that it is going, that there's, there is inherently something important in messing up in part because culturally they've been wired that way, in part because institutionally there's no support system to teach students how to reflect and work through it. So that's kind of one of those things that I, this is kind of one of my crusades that I will continue to ride on, right? Is that one of the things that I believe is most valuable about counseling? One of the reasons, one of the things that I think is most valuable about an individualized, personalized relationship or mentorship is 
there is there now then a space for a student to be removed from parental contentious relationships, to be removed from peer pressure, to be removed from um, not knowing whether or not me admitting failure or struggle to this teacher is going to affect my grade, right? That there is now someone in their life who can say, hey, I love that you tried that. The result wasn't ideal, but I love that you tried that. So let's talk about how we can do better next time. It is so important. And um, and so that's where I'll end today, right? Is I kind of just wanted to lay out the terms of engagement, right? To look to models that a student is going to head into, right? The reason this was written to written by the Harvard Business Review is organizationally, there has been a struggle to kind of deal with failure effectively, right? And so how do we equip students to engage in that and be ready for that and to eventually manage that, right? It's by getting them started early on with that process. Next week, we'll take a deeper dive into kind of the rest of Amy's article and how some of those things might have some wisdom that can be pulled away and applied to um, the student learning context. All right. Thanks for listening to the Accepted Podcast. Again, my name is Tyler Kusunoki. We hope you enjoyed today's topic on how to embrace failure um, and how to define it in different ways. Join us next week for more on the complex world of college admissions. If you like what you're hearing and want to support, be sure to leave us a rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your platform of choice, however you are getting us in your ears. Follow us and hit the bell icon for notifications to stay up to date. We also do regularly host events, both in person and online. So if you're interested in attending free info sessions with me and uh, real admissions officers or real students and so on and so forth, please do check us out at tokyoacademics.com slash events. That's tokyoacademics.com slash events. That's it for today. And remember, the key to getting in is getting ready.